to Southern Pride Storytime. Today we're going to talk about the story of Canatella. A king and a queen, as usual in these stories, want nothing more than to have a child. Eventually, they have a daughter. Apparently, fertility is like a massive issue in malnourished medieval society. If even the royals are so unhealthy that all of these stories start with somebody struggling to have a child, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, geez, (laughs) right? These are the people with the best nutrition in the kingdom, and it seems like every story starts with a king and queen, specifically, who can't have a child. Then again, if you watch uh, Film Theory, and have seen uh, Matt Pat's episode on Game of Thrones, and uh, you know, how inbreeding can lead to infertility. It could be that when we consider that it seems to specifically be the royal families in this case. Anyway, they of course eventually have a daughter. And I don't know, I guess I also feel with these older stories, it's kind of interesting how the families that don't struggle to conceive have sons, but the families who just want a daughter oh so bad, they always have, or they want a child oh so bad, they always end up with a daughter. I wonder if it's because those families are so desperate to have a kid that they don't care if the kid is a daughter and won't be able to inherit and pass on the kingdom. They just wanted a kid overall. I don't know. It just seems like the parents who want to have any child, they just want a child so terribly bad, it always seems out to be a daughter. I don't know why. Anyway, she grew up to be smart and beautiful and everything the king could possibly hope for. He loved his daughter and gave her an opportunity we almost never see in these stories or in actual society at the time that this took place. You see, She's turned 18, and he waited until she was 18 to, you know, bring up the whole marriage conversation, which is nice. If you look at uh, King Henry VIII's kids, they were not afforded this luxury. They were already being matched up when they were, like, two or three. So he not only, and in the story, it specifically states, waited until she was 18 to start looking for a suitor for her. But he also wants to let her choose her own husband. Again, totally, totally inconceivably outrageous at the time. Um, This would have sounded absolutely nuts to the first people hearing this story. Because even usually young men weren't even allowed to choose their spouse, but they usually had a little bit more of a say than the young women who were just kind of shipped off. So Canatella is a pretty revolutionary story in that the, the girl in question not only got to reach adulthood before getting paired off, but she actually not only gets a say in who she marries, but the say. The book doesn't even say that he specifically, you know, states that it has to be somebody from the nobility or anything like that. It can be a complete commoner, and the king's okay with it, which is crazy. Oh, hey, Oliver. Oliver has decided he's going to sit on my lap for the duration of this recording, so if you hear him panting, I'm so sorry. He's He and Bailey both love when I start reading a story, so they're always pretty close by. Oh, there he goes. Oh, he's sitting on my lap. Okay. Hi, buddy. They like story time, so he's decided to join me in my little podcast closet. Haven't you, buddy? Closet feels a lot smaller with a hundred-pound dog on your lap. (laughs) Anyway, the king's daughter, Canatella, is ungrateful for this unusually understanding fairy tale dad. She tells him that she never plans to get married at all. Needless to say, as the leader of a country, this distressed her dear dad, who was beginning to feel old and feeble. Books words, not mine. 
um, beginning to feel old and feeble. Oh. And, uh, you know, so he's starting to get pretty interested in getting the air situation settled. And I'm, I'm not even specifically talking about her having a child. I mean, her husband would end up ruling the kingdom. He needs to know that somebody's going to handle business once he's gone, right? So he's starting to feel stressed because she's not interested in getting married at all. And honestly, as far as the upper classes go in this situation, I mean, why would you be? Lower classes, families were tight-knit units that depended on each other to survive. Canatella, as a princess, has never known any kind of struggle or strife. She doesn't, she doesn't think she needs no man, except daddy and daddy's money, <laughs> right? But, uh, yeah, it's easy, easy to be independent when somebody else has earned all of your means for survival. But, yeah, so she doesn't want to get married at all, and so, you know, her dad needs the throne filled, the whole kingdom needs to be secure. They need a, a leader, somebody who can drive this kingdom, and the times being what they were, that could not be a girl. And so, you know, he's advanced in age, and so he needed to know the throne would be taken and the, the kingdom was secure. Therefore, he tries to get her to marry absolutely anybody. And I mean, guys, literally the story has him sitting in his palace just staring out the window and asking passers-by if they would marry his daughter. So this is, this is, we are not being selective. These don't have to be other inbred royals. Just, hey, man on the street with a funny hat, you want to marry my daughter? <laughs> so we're getting real selective here, right? When he explained to her the importance of her marriage and the, that it would play an important role in the lives of thousands of other people, he's imploring her to get married, not even for her own sake, but because she's been a princess who usually shows compassion on her people, he's appealing to her from that angle. But look, your marriage, your husband, and more importantly, the child you raise and teach and educate to be good to the people of this community they are the future of our whole kingdom and thousands of people's lives depend on you filling this role and being this leader and marrying a good leader and more importantly raising a good future leader if you as the princess do not get married and produce a child that you raise to take care of these people that you love then who knows who's going to take care of the people that you love right the dad is is really trying to talk some sense into her but she's 18. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not true. 18 year olds are better than like 13 year olds. At least they're beginning to understand long-term consequences of stuff, but they are still pretty my way or the highway and don't understand why they can't have what they want all the time. And that's kind of what the King is running into here with, with Canatella. Look, I understand you don't want to get married, but this decision isn't just about you. It's about everyone around you, but she doesn't care. <laughs> she she doesn't want to get married. So she puts out basically impossible stipulations for her dad. The man has to be more clever, more handsome, and more charming than any in the world. But, uh, you know, that's that's a pretty massive job for this guy. I don't know about you, but I've never met all the men in the world, so I couldn't tell you <laughs> which one is the most handsome, charming, and intelligent. And I feel like those three traits probably wouldn't occur within the same human. Like, you'd have one who was maybe the most charming, but maybe only the second or third most clever. <laughs> you know, I mean, what are the odds that all three top scorers would go to the same guy? Anyway, that's what she's holding out for. She wants 
basically God, you know, you know, and, uh, so dad's got a, a big task to work on. So it's a good thing. He's not particular about social class when it comes to marrying off Canatella because the charming, clever and handsome thing is going to be enough obstacles to deal with. So he's watching out his window. He sees a guy that he thinks will, you know, fit the bill and calls him in for dinner with his beautiful daughter. And, uh, during dinner, this otherwise sweet, charming, handsome man let one almond fall out of his mouth. The princess found him to be a clumsy, ill-mannered wretch and just wanted him gone. Another young man who was a candidate used a servant to put on his cloak instead of doing it himself. Soon it became clear that she intended to find some petty flaw with each man until her father gave up on seeing his family line carry on. Basically, it's kind of like Seinfeld, right? There's all of these teeny little nitpicky things that make it so this person is absolutely not in the running anymore. So Canatella is pulling a Seinfeld, sort of. I don't know. I get the impression. it. The story is very, very, very old, so it doesn't get super specific, but I get the impression that it's not even just that she finds dropping an almond or putting on your cloak the wrong way as unacceptable, so much as she's using that as an excuse to not marry these guys, right? It's not that she she is super, super picky. She's just using tiny flaws as an excuse to, to get her way. And so eventually, Dad catches on to this. Look, you don't hate all these guys. You just don't want to pick anybody. And he scolded his, his daughter for being obstinate. But since she had always had her own way with everything her whole life, she didn't plan to give up on her perfect record now. To make herself clear, she said she would only marry a man with a gold head and gold teeth. I guess she likes the quiet type. Fulfilling his stereotypical role again, the king put out a royal decree requesting just such a person. Now the problem with being an arrogant fool is that it makes you so easy to take advantage of that it's practically self-sabotage. The king had a deadly enemy, a magician named Fioravante. When he heard the proclamation, he called his demons to make him a gold head with gold teeth for him to wear. I imagine it's sitting on his shoulders like an old-school steampunk kind of scuba helmet. That's how I picture it, because it's kind of hinted. It just says that it sat on his shoulders. So yeah, I'm, I'm picking, picturing one of those old scuba helmets only made of gold and with teeth, because gold teeth are part of the requirements, right? I don't know. That kind of freaks me out now that it... No, the more I think about it, the more it creeps me out a little bit. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. A helmet with teeth. When the king saw him walking by, he gave the princess to him. They were married, and he carried her off on the front of his saddle. Towards the end of the day, they reached a stable where Fioravante placed his horse and the princess in the same stall. He told Canatella that he needed to return to his homeland, and it would be a seven-year journey to get there and back. In that time, she was never to leave the stall and to only eat whatever the horse left in his trough. Now, the story at least as translated by Andrew Lang, literally says only eat what the horse would leave behind. So it uh, didn't specify for several, several more paragraphs that it meant the oats and stuff that it left behind in the trough. So uh, kind of a author's error here for a long time. I thought it was implying that she had to eat like the horse's manure and I don't, I was going, how on earth did she survive? <laughs> nope, that was me. That was my error. She's just eating the horse's leftovers, whatever he doesn't eat from the trough. Still unpleasant, but probably not as disease-ridden. 
Years passed as the princess grew thin and dirty and pale in the dark horse stall. One one day, the princess saw through a crack in the wall that they were in a beautiful garden with delicious fruits and flowers. No sooner had Canatella stolen and eaten some of the oranges and grapes than her husband returned and the horse ratted her right out. She didn't even know it could talk. Turns out it can, and it is not on her side. The Fioravante drew his massive knife and was about to kill her for disobeying him when her cries and begging softened his heart. Perks of being pretty, I guess. He left her again for a seven-year journey, but told her there would be no mercy if she disobeyed again. In the time that followed, her imprisonment forced her to face that all of this was her own fault, her being an ungrateful daughter and, frankly, an insufferable snob. It was not until she humbled herself that the magician's cooper came by. He felt so badly for this hot mess of a girl that he hid her in a barrel and slung it on his mule's back and took her home to her father, where she was cleaned and slowly nourished back to health. It does specifically state that at first her father did not believe it was her because her appearance is so changed by what she's been through. Naturally, Fioravante was not at all pleased to return and discover that his bride was missing. The horse, of course, wasted no time in selling Canatella out again, and the magician hid himself in the home of a royal servant. When Canatella saw her husband, she had her father hide her in a room behind seven iron doors. Forced to shift gears, Fioravante cast a spell on a piece of paper so that when his servant friend put it under the princess's pillow, everyone in the castle but her would fall asleep. Using his magic, he forced his way through the seven iron doors, but when he burst through the last door, the princess screamed and leapt out of bed, preparing for a fight. She's pretty malnourished at this point. I'm not sure how much of a fight she can put up, but she's going to try. In the struggle, the spell was knocked out from under her pillow, and her screams brought out all of her knights rushing to her rescue. Fioravante was put to death, and the story ends with the line, and is so often the case in this world, the biter himself was bit. Canatella comes directly from the Pentamarone by Giambattista Basile, just like the flea and the flayed old woman, you know, our cheerful favorites. And we haven't visited it for a while. The version I used is translated by Andrew Lang. Cinderella, Puss in Boots, Rapunzel, Snow White, Catskin, slash Donkey Skin, slash Alalyra, which I did in the early days of the podcast, one of my favorites. Sleeping Beauty, they all have roots in the Pentamarone. It's one of the oldest written fairy tale compilations that we have in the Western world. And so it's a lot of our common fairy tales that we know are kind of more sanitized versions of stories from the Pentamarone. You think the Grimm's got dark on stuff, guys? Jean Battista Bastille was the master of it. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty also, you know, has roots in the Pentamarone. A variant of Cupid and Psyche is in there. It was written in 1634 and is one of the most important collections of fairy tales in the world. Now, I know absolutely no Italian words that are not food-related or geographical locations, hence my dependence on Scottish folklore collector Andrew Lang, who included Canatella in the Grey Fairy Book, which you can listen to for free on most podcast platforms thanks to LoyalBook.com. Not a sponsor, just thought, you know, I like to cite my sources so you guys know I'm not just making stuff up, but also... You know, it's the colored fairy books are an incredible resource to have, and I thought you guys might like to listen to them. They're, they're really, really neat. They're part of what got me hooked on these kind of stories in the first place. 
As an interesting note, it's not uncommon for iron and silver to have an adverse effect on magic in folklore, along with the number seven being strongly tied to magic, as we saw in Harry Potter and in most legends. Perhaps Canatella was hoping that the seven iron doors would protect her from the magician. Also, while the story has a message about not nitpicking and having realistic expectations for a spouse, it's also very anti-domestic abuse, which is another thing about the story that's pretty revolutionary for the time. So, I don't know, I, I like the story. I've got to say the the mini-furred creature or donkey skin, cat skin, Alalyra, is still one of my favorites. I just kind of love the idea that she's met the prince three times for this ball, kind of like Cinderella, but unlike Cinderella who makes herself so beautiful, this is a princess who deliberately makes herself more ugly. So I kind of, I love donkey skin. It's one of my absolute favorites, but Canatella is another good one coming from the Pentamarone, and it has a lot of, or sorry, a lot less of the kind of creepy elements like the flea had, you know? So, so I like this one. It doesn't give me that weird, creepy, icky feeling in my stomach that some of the Pentamarone stories give me. The flayed old woman, ooh, that one, it makes makes my fingernails curl. I don't know. It's, it's kind of an icky story. So this one is much more mild, and uh, I, I really like it. I mean, there are, obviously, the magician was pretty abusive of Canatella, but it's not as graphically violent as a lot of the the Pentamarone stories tend to be. I hope you enjoyed it, because it is a older classic story straight out of Italy, and uh, I hope you'll join me again next week for another Monster Minute. Next Friday, I'm probably going to do more of a kind of local history folklore spooky story on Friday, just because I haven't done one of those in a long time, and they're really, really fun to do and research. So please have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and enjoy your 4th of July. If you're an American like me, nothing like it, and uh, have a wonderful, wonderful time. I enjoy talking to you.